The opinions expressed in the following podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide education and entertainment about the financial industry and the stock market. Enjoy. On this episode of Pennies Going In Raw, we give three trading strategies on swing trading, day trading, and options on large stocks. Yeah, boy. Pennies Going In Raw. Featuring Dan, Deity at Dips, and Hugh Honey. New intro under construction. This episode is sponsored by Masterworks.io. Ever wonder how billionaires like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos hedge their risk? They invest in blue chip art. Contemporary art prices outgained S&P 500 returns by 174% from 1995 through 2020. Masterworks.io is the only platform that lets you invest in paintings by artists like Banksy and Monet at a fraction of the entry cost. It's no wonder 84% of wealth managers recommend investing in art. Masterworks.io is making art investing accessible to everyone. They recently sold their first painting, a Banksy work, for a 32% annualized return to investors. Pennies Going In Raw listeners can skip their waitlist today by going to masterworks.io, promo code pennies. See important information at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Welcome back to another episode of Pennies Going In Raw. Today is Sunday, July the 11th, and we've got some strategies for you. We got some things to talk about. I guess we'll start it off. I'm mainly a day trader. I've been dabbling in options, mainly day trading options. And Hugh, big swing trader. Recently, I had to start day trading a little more. Uh, you know, Marco's down. He's got he's got to get it how he lives. You know. So yeah. I guess where do you where do you want to start? You probably want to start with swing trading, huh? <clears throat> uh, or I guess before we start with either of the, any of these that we have listed, yeah. maybe something you know short and easy like large caps in general. You know, if you just want to swing a large cap, uh, so something short and easy, uh, what kind of advice do you have for that? The apples, the buy them and hold, or do you wait for a good spot to buy or what's up? Yeah. So something that, that we, that we, I did want to talk about was the notion that you need money to make money because that is true to a large degree. Making 10% on a million dollar account is double the average American salary. Making 10% on 10,000 and you're barely getting a hotel room in uh, in Florida for the night. So... It's expensive hotel room. Well, no, <laughs> no, no, I haven't traveled oh, in. Okay, okay, 10%, $1,000. Yeah, I mean, that is... Yeah, but, that is but you get my point. Okay, okay. We could say uh, you can't even get a Porsche, you know? Wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> so... My point is that there is a degree of notion, but that being said, it's not like it's not like everyone's given a million dollars. Every trader is given a million dollars at the door and told to figure it out. Imagine, uh, at, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like they, in fact, it's a good thing that that that's not a thing, dude. That they should make like another market for paper traders that doesn't have anything to do with the real market it's it starts off as the real market but like you just get a million dollars and you see how it reacts to everyone just having infinite money it it would be horrible it it would be so bad i i i can't even imagine 
spies at like fourteen hundred dollars. I was just gonna say slap some two mil float stock and send it halting or something, you know, and and then they can't get out of it because it's too illiquid. Something along those lines. Uh, back to what what we were talking about was that the notion that you need money to make money that is true, but. If you build up an account, you're not the first person to build up a fucking account, okay? In fact, you probably wouldn't even be the first 10 millionth, okay? Everybody builds up an account to a certain degree, even if you are given seed money. Or let's even take a hedge fund. If you're lucky enough to work at a hedge fund, they start you as an apprentice. You just learn for a year or two. Then they give you a small book, and then they give you a little bit larger book, but you're building that book. Like You still have to hit crazy numbers. So to a certain degree, it's... You still have to build up an account. Now, obviously, they're not building up an account from $500 like most retail. So if you are inside that position, understand that, yes, you do need to build up an account and it is difficult to build up, but you won't be the first and you sure as hell won't be the last. So don't reinvent the wheel. And what I mean by that is keep it nice, systematic trading. Learn your system first, figure out what you're good at, figure out what you're not good at, and figure out a strategy that can be replicated multiple times and has a winning edge, okay? Now, once you do that, then you can slowly build up the account. Again, don't reinvent the wheel. Quality over quantity, okay? You don't try and... Although I use the expression, um, I'd rather get off the bus stop five stops too late than one stop too early. That's true. But don't turn into a situation where a stock goes up 100%. You ride it all the way up and all the way down and sell it for 2% gain. Okay. That's not going to fly and you're never going to make it. Percent stop loss. Yeah. Trailing stop loss. Boom. It, boom. Exactly. And, and, and even if, even if it comes down to your trailing stop loss and that's the lowest it goes and it shoots up, Guess what? You followed your plan. Okay. You're never going. I mean, there's very, like, there's probably been three times inside my career where my plan and the trade has gone exactly perfect. Like, I, like, I should frame those because it never does. It, it never does. But that's okay because that's the market. You know, like when I first started out, I think I tweeted this two weeks ago. I had said that when I was starting out, I, um, I had a goal to go a decade without a red trade, okay? Because at that time, I thought that it was completely on me. I thought that my performance was purely based on how hard I worked. I didn't understand that there were outliers of the market. So you have to understand that it's not everything's inside your control, okay? When you work at a desk job, besides being sick, besides catastrophic errors, you know, catastrophic losses, you know, there are to a certain degree, you can control mostly everything, you know, with the market, that's not how it works. At any moment, there can be a catastrophic loss. So I wanted to put that out there. Okay. If you are building an account, don't reinvent the wheel. Don't feel bad for yourself. Okay. I, for five years, I didn't make dick and you know, now 1% gain is now you're getting a lot of dick. <laughs> Motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, you know, and, and that's the thing is that you will build up an account 
And it, it will be hard. But once you build up that account and 10% is the average American salary, you can say you've made it. Because then at that point, you can completely switch to a completely risk, not risk-free, but uh, where your risk is super low, you know, where you really manage your risk overall so that you never really lose more than one or 2% of your portfolio um, inside a position. And if you do that, then you can make, you know, 20% a year. And then the next year, instead of it being the average American salary, it's above the average American salary. It's, and then it just, it, then once you start to compound, you start to roll, it just gets stupid. And then one thing that I do want to share with you is Warren Buffett said something and I, you know, I love the big man. He said, do you guys understand why uh, making a podcast with you is so difficult? I literally asked him how uh, <laughs> you would recommend adding a large cap stock. And he just went on a six minute rant about compact. Like, do you need money to make money? Now he's getting Warren Buffett quotes on his phone. So what I do for large caps mainly is I actually do it in my cash app account of all things, because you can add partial shares. And I'm one of those guys for large caps. I don't like to look at them at all. I'm not even, a, I'm not even great at swinging things unless I put them in an account that won't let me look at it except for once a week. So I do them in cash app and I just try and throw like $50 in, in one every day, you know, whichever one looks like it's on a dip, you know, whether and, and cash app has a ton of them. And the only reason I keep saying Cash App, this is not an ad. I'm not sponsored by Cash App. Kevin O'Leary, if you want to, though, we I wish. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's super easy. It's actually where I bought my first stock. And I just try and throw it in every, you know, every now and then. And I just don't ever look at it. If it's down, it's down. It's up, it's up. And, you know, it's always going to have a good bit of money in it should anything go wrong. How do you kind of go about adding? Uh, yeah. So for the most part, I don't usually own any large caps outright not even in your Roth no 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 I do own inside the Roth but I'm saying I'm saying inside the trading account I usually don't own anything uh inside the Roth I have you know we talked about last week but Amazon Visa MasterCard you know I like like the emerging markets and and places where I see like innovation um but for trading purposes I usually don't hold the equity because I would need a massive move I mean it's just it's the same provided that you would need a massive move to make any kind of money. Now, Amazon was up half a percent today. So, I mean, I guess if you were all in, you know, that, that's, a, that's not a bad day. But the strategy that I like to take with the large caps is I like to do an option strategy. Now, this strategy isn't going to be for like the newest, <laughs> the newest trader out there because you do have to understand technical analysis on a pretty good level. And what I mean by that is that my strategy is simply charting, buying options on support 10% out of the money with low delt and, and cutting on really green days and adding on really red days. So it, it seems complex, but when you think about it, I'll take the Amazon trade that I took. Yeah. So I think kind of explain, like, what do you mean? I know we've explained it before, but low delta, how should they look for low delta in an options trade to sell the money? Yeah. So I don't, I don't like, there's people that, there's people that will comment underneath this podcast, like, like, you know, like, what about the, you know, you, you could, what about the other Greeks? And, and yes, Buck <laughs> and the other Greeks are important. But for me, the most important for me is the delta it, it, because 
I don't necessarily, like I'm not throwing 50% of my account into this. You know, this is something where I'm looking for an explosive move to the upside. And so if it's either going to work or it doesn't, I use, when I talk about options trades, I use the quote banker bankrupt because I'll hold it down 80%. But like, for instance, the Amazon trade that I took, I was seeing that it was consolidating for an entire year across the chart. So it had touched the level, it had touched resistance twice, and it was really starting to gain volume to the upside. So I said, hey, if this breaks out, I mean, this thing is going to explode. So when it came back down to support, I bought low delta, so 40, 50 deltas, for I bought the Julys and I bought the Septembers. And the reason I did that was because I usually like to buy right below where my price target is. So my price target for August was 38.50 for Amazon, okay? And so I bought the September low delt at 3,700. And so what this did was, was that this gave me enough time for Amazon to work out its kink. So I was down like 25% or something. Yeah, and on Amazon calls, that's a lot of money. Like these That's are a lot penny of money. stock yeah, options. Expensive. They are expensive. Yeah. Exactly. So they're expensive. So I was down 25%. But like I said, is that I kind of have like a rule of thumb where I just kind of add on really big red days. And so that's what I was doing. And uh, mm, let me see, Tuesday or Mon- Monday or Tuesday, it broke out of that resistance, Amazon, that yearly resistance. And it was up like four and a half percent. Bezos made like eight billion uh, that day. So that's when those options go up five, six hundred percent, and the overall position I was holding went up like two hundred percent. So for my account, I don't need to, you know, I'll throw one percent of my account, and so I'm risking one percent to make two, three, four, potentially seven percent. So now what I did was was that on that big explosion, I cut most of them uh, on Tuesday because it. You know, it was kind of like that, like first big explosion. And then when it opened up higher than where it closed, that's where I felt like, okay, I'm just going to close the rest. It opened up like a percent and a half up. And I said, okay, this is, this is maybe a little too much. So that being said, I sold 80% of my calls. So now I've locked in a huge profit. But if this thing wants to keep going, fantastic. You know, I mean, I'm up a hell of a lot. My, my net liquidity is still high, but I locked the profit. So, but now... What I want to see is, is that if Amazon comes back down to that support, that's where I'll add, like, let's call it October 3900s or 3800s, because that would be a really great. So what we saw was an explosion to the upside. What I want to see is, is a retest of the support or a back test of the support. And as it starts to curl back up, that's where I'll scale into options. And that's where I can take a bigger position. Um, for people that have been following us for a while, PFE was a seven-figure trade for me, Pfizer. Um, and that's because what I do is like I get I like to get into the option. Okay, it's a farther out option. And I like to understand the stock a little bit. And so the only way for me to truly be all in on or you know, be all in and focus on the stock is to have some money in there. So now if Amazon comes back down and starts crawling back up, that's where I'll scale in and I'll try and hit like a pretty good home run trade. But Again, it comes down to quality over quantity, getting a strategy that's systematic and works for you. Okay, my strategy is not going to work for everyone, but it's a strategy that you can replicate with little risk and you can maximize your reward. That's 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 awesome to hear, man. So 
obviously it's been 15 minutes into the podcast and he still hasn't answered my first question, which makes me kind of, it makes <laughs> me kind question? of, it, how do you just buy large caps in general? But you know, it makes oh. me upset. It makes me want to have to talk to someone. And you know, and that's why this is kind of brought to you by better help. Our sponsor for me needing help from you doing all this to me. You know, if something is preventing you from achieving your goals, something's interfering with your happiness, check out betterhelp.com slash PGIR. BetterHelp will assist your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It'll connect you in a safe and private online environment, and it's super convenient. You can start communicating in under 48 hours, and it's not its not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done secure online where you can message a counselor anytime where you get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly videos or phone sessions all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. The service is available for clients worldwide. Find the particular expertise you need online. Don't limit yourself to counselors located near you. Everything's convenient, professional, affordable and and you know where to get it guys it is betterhelp.com forward slash pgir i'm gonna head there right after this episode because i'm still trying to figure out <laughs> how do you buy your large caps man do we buy them on dips how do yeah. you but we can't even get into swings and day trading yeah so okay so this is a little different for me because i do because it all kind of manages around taxes so I obviously run the trading accounts through an LLC. Through that LLC, I pay myself, okay? Because the government makes you take disbursements. And, and just, for, just for the books, it makes more sense for me to pay myself like a regular employee. So when I pay myself, you know, I'm, I don't spend like stupid money. Well, you know, a little bit. But what I do is that the money that I have, I bring over to an individual account and I throw it inside a brokerage account. Okay. And so what I do is I ident- identify stocks, large caps that I think are innovating, that have good balance sheets or good fundamentals and have a good management team. Because any, you know, I mean, look at Blockbuster, Blockbuster and Netflix were similar in the sense that they were innovators for their time. Blockbuster, you know, being the rental giant and Netflix being the mail-in. Now, Although different times and one was overlapping the other, the difference is, is that Blockbuster never innovated. Netflix innovated and they stepped up their game. Okay. So again, I don't want, uh, you know, I'm holding these things for years. So I don't want something that is, you know, going to be a turnkey for, for a few years. I don't want like a fad. I want something where they're innovating the business. That's why I have like inside my Roth, my, Average price for Amazon is $999, like literally $999 and like 90 cents or something. And then I also own it inside another account. And even though it's super expensive, and like we talked about in the midweek, it would need to double from, it would almost need to be 8,000 per share for it to double. So I understand that, but I do think the reversible is coming eventually. But the reason I own it, 
own so much of it is because they're innovating and they're acquiring other companies. They're moving into, you know, look at what they did with Whole Foods. They're going to try and move into pharmaceuticals. They're trying, there's so much out there that Amazon's doing on top of the fact that like, dude, like probably, I don't even know, like 80% of the world has an Amazon Prime membership. I, I probably 80% of the world, something around them. So what do you think? Is that uh, low? Uh, no, actually, this whole time I've been doing the math to find out how much money you would make if you invested $1,000 after Forrest Gump said he made all of his money in Apple stock when the movie <laughs> came out in 94. And uh, yeah, you're looking at a generous return if after Forrest Gump said to invest all of, you know, that's how he got rich was... Mm-hmm. Right when the movie came out, you left the movie theater and you bought Apple stock like Forrest Gump. You would be loaded. Sorry, I How, what would been... the thousand turn into? Do you know yet? Uh, so, in 2015, prior to the four to one split in 2020, it was 93 cents per share. So you multiply that by four: nine, eighteen, twenty-seven, thirty-six, three dollars sixty cents a share. Uh, it's now one hundred forty dollars. Correct? And yeah, I mean, there's reverse splits though. No, no, these were, oh, if these were all reverse splits, then the four to one would make it go from 90, because it was 30 cents back then. And I'm looking at other people do the math for 2015. Anyways, either way, you'd be fucking loaded. Yeah, you'd be, you should have left the movie. I bitch at my mom all the time about that. (laughs) And so my point is, but, but get it to your point is that, yes, I do like to wait for dips. I do like to have some cash on the side. But for me, it's more about building a bigger positions inside companies that I like. So as far as like scaling into a position, anytime that I get an inflow of money, I'll throw it inside this trading account and I'll scale into a position. I'll just buy like another share or two. So I'm building the, I'm building the position. Although the average, the average doesn't really matter to me, but I also don't want to be opening up a position at all time highs. I will, if I'm opening up a new position, I will want to wait for some kind of a pullback, even if it's small. A bad ER. Yeah. Even, what, like, would a bad ER overreaction uh, be? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because here's, well, think about this. Think about this. Okay, we go back to lots. Now, even though lots is in the large cap, it, it's a similar situation to what a lot of companies run into is that the CEOs and the management overpromise. And when you overpromise and underdeliver, your stock is going to get killed. Your stock is going to get killed. You know, you'll be down five, six. I mean, we've seen Intel take a five, six percent dump after hours. And I mean, five, six percent, you know, in, in small cap world really isn't a big deal. I mean, that's that can be like that can be like $20 billion worth of market cap. Like that's that's insane. I don't really worry about the averages unless I'm scaling into a position. Now, as far as the large cap side of things. Like I said, I want something with a good balance sheet. Okay, so it needs to be cash heavy. You know, like there, like there can't be a chance. Even even if it's one that like everyone knows, uh, like Amazon, Apple, Google, mm-hmm. shit like that. Is it? Do you think there's ever a point where you're like, oh, this is way too overextended. I should sell. Do you ever take profits on those, or there's just you just hold, hold, hold. In this account, I'll take profits if it's like something something insane. Like I'm talking like. Like if Apple or Amazon ever had like a 15% day, yeah, for sure. But overall, 
Uh, no, I'm just building positions for the future. Like, I, do I think that Amazon's going to like start beating out Merck and John J and J? No, but are they trying to move into the pharmaceuticals? Yes. Do I think that they're going to continue to build out AWS? Yes. They're trying to like take over uh, Thursday. They took over Thursday night football. Now I think they're going for Monday night. You know, they, if they really want to, they can start wedging out people. And why they can do this and move into a bunch of different industries is because they have the cash to do it, which comes back to the balance sheet. So what I'm saying is that it's kind of like a domino effect. Good balance sheet means that you can expand and innovate. Expand and innovate means you can start acquiring companies with new futures and stuff, new technology, new innovation, etc. Then once you get crazy levels, now you can start to move into other areas of a similar field like Apple did. You know, Apple has a GPS now. Who <laughs> like who would have thought in in the 90s that Apple would be doing GPSs? So or, or even like the whole ecosystem that Apple has. So what I'm my point is that I'm building a position for the future. Okay? This is way more about quality over quantity. I'm not looking to double or triple. Maybe double or triple ever. I'm looking to outpace the S&P, yes, but this is for something where like, you know, I want like I want Amazon to have like a 6 trillion dollar market cap by the time I'm ready to retire. And that would make me ecstatic, you know? And so then it's like, you know, I still have cash on the sideline to add on pullbacks, but that's pretty much I'm building for the future. Okay. Well, moving on to uh, probably something, you know, uh, you won't go as crazy on before we get into swings. <laughs> so, you, so we'll give them a break from that. Uh, so we'll start with day trading and then we'll go into swings. What are some strategies for day trading? Obviously, you know, when you first start trading stocks and you're Googling them, the first thing you find is like the ABCD, you know, strategy for a chart setup. You know, you learn about triple bottoms and the double tops, but what kind of thing are you looking for in, you know, bull market and a slow market? Like where where do these strategies play their best hand? Yeah, so they definitely play the best hand when there's maximized volume because volume precedes price action. But I mean, if, if you don't have a, if you're a new trader and you don't have that on a sticky note or printed out somewhere, you need to because that's going to be what takes a parabolic stock nuts. And that's going to be what brings volume to the sympathies is volume inside that stock to make it go parabolic. So it, it that really, if you're day trading, they, you could probably do, I mean, when you get good, you could probably just have volume up. You know, with, with so many furus and you know, whenever they tweet or post a message and it, and it gets all this volume, do you think there's such thing as artificial volume where it may just be quick injection of volume, but it's not exact? Yes, it's real, but unnatural and unsustainable. Or even, I mean, you could say the same thing for news. I mean, it could just be everyone sees the news, we're going to get in, get out. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, see, I think it's sustainable. The thing that I don't think is sustainable, well, no, let me, let me put it this way. I don't think that you can just day trade forever. There's, there's a few reasons that I think that. And honestly, Gary and Tommy might, might disagree, but this is where I think the evolution of the trader needs to come in. Obviously, you, you're day trading to, to build your account and not, not to make money, but also to build your account. I think that you can day trade for a long time, but if you go ever go on a really cold streak, like there's cold streaks and swings, 
and you know maybe you lose like 10% of your account if you go on a cold streak. If you're day trading and you have 10 days where you like, let's just say you had like 50 red positions, um, you know, day trading, then that mentally wears on you. And it's inevitable that you go on a cold streak. It's inevitable. So I think that one is the mental side of day trading. At least for me, I found that even if it's the same percentage wise loss on the portfolio that I do way worse mentally when it's a bunch of losing day trades, like, like a th- death by a thousand cuts kind of thing. And then the second thing is that when you build up your book, you know, obviously you can day trade larger, larger caps, but when you build up your book, you know, you're not going to use, sometimes you'll just have excess money laying on the side. But by the same, by the same token, um, yeah, it, your swing could go cold. Um, yeah. I get discouraged from swings when I see it red three, four days in a row. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I'll buy more. It can't go much lower. And then it keeps going red. You bought the dip, yeah. it just keeps on dipping. Well, see, and this is this is where I was talking about like the mentality part of it is that with my swings, say I go on a cold streak with the swings, okay? And let's just say I lose 10% of my account because that's the, oddly enough, that's usually I feel like what it is when I go on a cold streak. I can handle losing 10% of my account. Concurrently, if I lose 10% of my account day trading because of a cold streak, but instead of it being five positions, it's 40, that screws with my mentality. Like you lost 40 times instead of just three. Yes, exactly. And that screws with my... And even though it's the same nominal amount, it screws with my mentality more. What, What used to happen to me, especially when I... Like now I just... I'll take a vacation or I'll walk away or 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 I'll size down. But what I used to do was was that I would then try and make it back in revenge trade. So it would screw with my mentality and then I would try and go bigger and then I would lose, try and go bigger. And so what it would do is that it was kind of like the domino effect. And that's what I really liked about swing trading is that because even if I lost 10%, it wouldn't screw with my mentality. So I wouldn't make those like, let's call them like catastrophic, terrible decisions where you take your account from 10% down to 15%. And now it's like, whoa. Well, if one of the main things you're basing on the fact that you won't be able to day trade full time is mentality, then I'm going to have to disagree because everyone's got a different mentality. You may just be weak minded, little man. Whoa, whoa, (laughs) dude, I'm built like a Built like a bull up here, all right? You can't, dude. Nobody lives when body up here. Like a bull too. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, nobody's nobody lives rent free up in Hugh space. But that's that's for me, and and this is even we can talk about two thousand eight. Okay, two thousand eight, the housing market crash was horrible. But what really set the skids to the market was all the investors selling out their 401ks and selling out everything because they were being emotional humans. And there's nothing wrong with that because we're humans with emotions. But that's what really set 2008. So is, this is very hue of you to uh, in, make the whole day trading <laughs> segment on why you shouldn't day trade. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm so just where saying, are you going to tell them how to day trade? I, I'm getting there. I'm just saying okay, that I we're think giving that there them has warnings. to be... An, Listen, I'm just saying that I think that there has to be an evolution, okay? Because I don't think that... Listen, if you can day trade and just day trade for 30 years, that hats off to you. I just think that you're you're an anomaly, personally, okay? Personally. Now, as far as day trading goes, okay... It's changing, old man. 
<laughs> buy hold, buy hold. <laughs> um, now, as far as day trading goes, there's two strategies that I like. And again, they all center around volume and news. Okay. If you guys have been trading for a little bit, you guys know that sometimes the China education just set off out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That means uh, the market sucks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they just set off out of nowhere. And you have like one go like what? <laughs> They're five? the new Oilers. Oh, and, and, and that's, and there's no news. Like they're literally just up 600%. Like I'm, I'm like, I can't even find volume. It just looks like they like open up 600% up. And so I hate those now. Yes. Do they have volume? Yes. And do some people make money on them? Yes. But for me, I need, an, I need something to hang my hat on. And what that usually is, is news. So, and under, especially if it's uh, like an underlying news that actually should boost the market cap. So what I mean by that is that if a company has, let's just for for sake of argument, let's just say the market cap is a hundred million, okay, and they get a thirty million dollar contract for the year, okay, like a one time thirty million dollar contract. Hypothetically, that means that the market cap should minimum go up thirty percent. Now. Obviously, with enough volume and enough people thinking that, like, you know, they understanding that 30% adding to the market cap is massive, um, you know, I mean, that's when it can go 50, 60, 100%. But something like that, I can look at it and I can justify, me personally, I can justify buying this because they got this massive contract. Something where now if it was a $100 million market cap and they got like a $200,000 contract, that's something that I probably wouldn't buy unless it was like a massive short float and it was more of like a, what's the wrong looking for? Technical analysis kind of thing. <clears throat> so I like things with real good news Okay, and I and it has to be tons of volume. So when I say volume, I mean the relative volume has to be through the roof. So we were trading Clove, and don't quote me exactly, but I think inside the one day two weeks ago that Clove went nuts, uh, it had more volume in one day than it had previously the month the entire month prior. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what's big, you know, and and that's one of the things that kind of hits on my day trading strategy is one of my big things that I've I've really liked whenever sympathies are hitting is the sympathy plays. And Clove, you know, it doesn't just have like Chamas shit and all and, you know, healthcare, whatever. It goes straight to Spocks. So it's like lots can go off. And, and, and you have to find the web of sympathy you like because lots could go off Rocket. Lots could go off other SPACs. And and that is my biggest thing is is day trading sympathies. You find the runner, you find the lagger. Yeah. If it has options, you buy the option, and you just go for you go for those. I mean, I like to precede the volume. I like to know where the volume is going to be, as opposed to following the volume. And that's one of my biggest strategies. And and a lot of yeah. that is you know experience, knowing what runs with what, and in screen time. Yeah, if something's on pace for half a billion uh, of volume you know that the sympathy is going to run. And, you know, I mean, if it's like starting to trend really well and all the, all the, when it dips, those dips are becoming firm and they're starting to really curl up in the chart. I mean, you, you know, when a chart is starting to look really pretty, like, you, 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 I mean, we talked about earlier, but 
it, if if you kind of say like, hey, this is my support, and it bounces right there, and then it's like, you know, it create like it, it, you just know you have that feeling, and that's those are the times where I'll hit that day trade hard. Other than that, <laughs> I mean, you, you're gonna call me a hater, but uh, other than that, I keep my day trades really small because. I, I don't see the same risk to reward as I do with my swings. But the first, like I said, the first strategy is volume, uh, either on on news that you know is underlying for the underlying equity is good. And I like to play those sympathies. So for instance, when the meme stocks were running nuts, I think it was um I think it was BlackBerry got good news. And I figured that if BlackBerry was starting to run again, although it wasn't the main meme stock, it would kind of give a little bit of a boost to all the other ones because they were down a pretty good chunk. Um, so I just bought all the meme stocks, like like a few thousand shares of everything. And sure enough, BlackBerry started breaking out and so did the rest of them go with it. So that's what I enjoy. Uh, that's the first strategy because I feel that that one gives me really good risk reward. Uh, anything to add to that or you want to move on? Uh, yeah, I think before we go into swings, uh, is kind of a proper transition for this is another one of my biggest ways and kind of the way I learned to day trade was, and as I said, before we get into swing trading, day trading around the core position of my swing trades. And yeah, a, a lot of doing that because you're comfortable holding it long term makes it a little easier on you mentally because even if it keeps going up, you still have a lot of it. If it keeps going down, you can add more because you're confident on it. And as you day trade something that you're swinging for a two-month, three-month span, you learn so much more than just the technicals. You learn the personality of the stock and learning the personality of the stock is invaluable. Uh, There, I mean, there are so many where people would always say, you know, oh, if I was only over 25K, I could day trade this. <laughs> and I, I'd buy it at 10 a.m. and I'd sell it at 2 p.m. every day because that's what it does. You know, but if they had that, it wouldn't exist. And you'd know it's actually 1030 and 1130. Then you buy again at noon. That's when it's its lowest. And and that's one of the things is is screen time and learning the personality, I think, is is one of the biggest things for day trading around core position. And then yeah. also using those breakouts. uh, I've never been a breakout trader, but for those people that are are willing to slap the wall or see that resistance broke, uh, my main thing is I just like to be in before the chart gets to the point where it's, you know, to a point where it's breaking out more because, you know, you see those, hey, it's about to break view up again. It's already up 33%. I don't feel comfortable doing that, but the more technical traders can absolutely do that. And that's one of the more impressive things. I do want to learn more, you know, how to trade that. It's funny that you mentioned trading around the core because I actually got asked on uh, Tuesday night uh, if I make money every week, and and that's a tough question as a swing trader because it, it's like it's like yeah, like on paper yes, or on paper no, but it's not realized. But trading around the core, I didn't used to do this at all, but trading around the core helps to lock in some of that profit so that I can pay myself so that even if I'm not selling a majority of my positions for a month, let's just call it that, that I don't I don't sell anything in July. If I trade around the core a little bit on those massive days where the market's just up and everything's doing well, you know, let's just say it's up 7% and I cut 
even 10% of my position, you know, that pays for rent, that pays for, you know, all the bills and a little bit of fund money. And so that's the way that I kind of look at it is that <clears throat> I can pay myself and, and all I do is pay myself with the profits. I'm not taking out of my account. I'm saying, okay, I made X amount of money on this trade from this, you know, uh, and so I'll take that out of the account. And then on a dip, I'll buy back so that it's, I'm just replacing those shares and recycling. So then when it goes back up to that area, it's like nothing even happened. And obviously sometimes it doesn't come back down to that area. It doesn't come back down to that area or something, but when it does, it, it, a, a stock always dips, always. So when it dips, it when it dips, I'll just scale it back into that position, average up a little bit. When I see that confirmation, uh, like we talked about earlier with the large caps, when it comes down back testing that support and confirmation of the curl, that's when I'll scale back into it. And even if I'm averaging up, that's okay. That's okay because I lock some profit. So if an RS or a massive offering came out, I at least lock some profit. All right. Now we can move to your bread and butter, the swings, adding them, doing the DD, how you want to do it and uh, kick us off. Yeah. So, so the first thing that we have to talk about with the swings is it always has to check all the boxes. And what I mean by that is that I created a 10 step matrix and and I need it to I need it to check at least six or seven of these boxes for me to even be interested. And what I mean by that is that I used to notice that I would get really emotional about a company. And I would I, you know, I would believe everything that the CEO said and I would I would expect, you know, massive press releases and I had unreal expectations and and that was just my own bias getting inside the way. And so I created this matrix when I started to realize that I was getting too emotional about these stocks. And I was starting, I was marrying stocks. Like I really was marrying stocks. I, I, I said that, you know, like this thing's going to a thousand dollar share, it'd be like 60 cents, um, you know, terrible balance sheet. And I would say, oh, like they'll figure out the money, you know, the, as long as the underlying, as long as the underlying uh, product is good, it's fine. And that's not true. So I created a matrix. And a lot of people ask me for it. It is proprietary, so I don't give it out openly. But for the podcast, there are a few things. Like for instance, um, you know, it takes the emotion out of it. So one of the things that that this checklist covers is that it covers things that you can quantify. Like for instance, how much cash they have. So everything is based on a rating out of ten. So it does give. Okay, hey, they have cash for the next three years. Great, that's a ten out of ten. You know, or hey, you know they might they have cash for the next year, but it'll be tight. You know that that might be like a five or something or a six. Um, and so that ta- that's something that you can quantify and take the emotions out of it. That being said, on the checklist though, there are things that you can't quantify, like for instance the management. We talked about in large caps that I invest in management teams. I'm not invest. I am investing in the products, but I'd much rather invest inside a great management team. So. Uh, although you can't sit there and quantify management teams, I can get a pretty good idea or a pretty good gut check and go off of that. So then once I score these 10 different, you know, these 10 different scores, if I expected, if I wanted to go, let's call it like all in on a stock, but then I go through these, I go through these metrics and I realized, okay, Hey, 
this only has like a six or a seven rating. Um, you know, their cash is a little low. Management seems like like they're a little pumpy. You know, that's not that's not great. Or or you know, or we could throw something in like, hey, uh, you know, seasonality for the fall is not great. It's usually their worst quarter. Something along those lines. Uh, then I can say, okay, let's see, you know, it kind of puts my, my ego in check and my emotions in check. And I say, okay, I, this isn't the stock that I want to, you know, I'll take a scrap because I still like the catalyst or I still like the thesis, but this isn't one where, you know, I'm going to hold down and I'm going to add all dips and, and everything like that. So that's what I would one say is that I would go, if you're, if you want to be a swing trader, you have to understand what strategies work best for you? And so what I mean by that is like, are you more of like a bio person? Are you more of a hold the entire, you know, if you think weed's going to run this summer, are you someone that's just going to go all in on the weeds and wait for them to run? Are you, are you going to be like a theme trader? Are you a holder and sell in a year or are you a scale out? I mean, that's yeah. you, do you do 10% every 10%? Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things like you as a swing trader need to talk about because me as a swing trader, man, I was out of Fubo at 40%. I was, you know, Zach called it at like 10 I was, or nine. I was in at 10. I was all the way out at 14 or 15. By the time it hit 60, I was just crying every day. So I mean, like, <laughs> what is the, what is your scale out method? Do you wait for yeah. news and sell it all? Uh, well, so, so it's based on like a system. It's not a systematic approach. And what I mean by that is if it's news that isn't the news that I'm waiting for. So let's say that I'm waiting for a product, um, product to, to, let's just say that I'm waiting for a product. Okay. To come and they have a good ER and they have a good earnings. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Then, and the stock goes up, let's just call it like 30%. I'll cut half my position because that's that's fantastic. You know it's going to come down. You know it's going to come down, especially if the earnings report shouldn't reflect that. So again, we talked about earlier about day trading the news. Same thing with the swings. If if the earnings report is like a 10% increase in revenue, or let's even call it like a 20% increase in revenue, that's not really that... Imp- for like a billion dollar company, that that shouldn't be that impressive. You know, if it brings the, if it brings the revenue up from... From fifty million to uh, you know fifty five million or sixty million, that's really not that impressive, and the stock shouldn't be up that much from a fundamental standpoint. So I'll cut half the position, um, and if it squeezes, you know it sucks, but uh, but I'm still happy because I still have a pretty big position in there. Uh, so if there's news that that I wasn't expecting, or it's not the news I'm looking for, then on resistance points, I'll cut a little bit, I'll cut a little bit. And then if it starts, then I'll have like a trailing stop loss so that it takes my emotions out of it. And that's the biggest thing is that, so for instance, if the stock's at a dollar a share and it flies up to a dollar 40 per share and on resistance, I'll cut some, and let's just say the resistance point's 150. I'll cut some, you know, right after the resistance point, And then I'll just play it play the price action from there. So if it starts to break down, then I'll start to cut it. If it starts to firm up, you know, maybe I'll even add some to the position, but for a day trade, I'm not swinging that, okay? Because the underlying goal and the overall goal is to then buy those shares back at a lower price. So I will, again, I will buy it inside the day trade account. I will even inside the swing, swing account, I'll day trade it. But if the underlying equity shouldn't reflect that kind of price action, then I'll, I have no problem cutting half of my position. So that's the one way to scale out. The other way is that 
if it gets really overextended, so let's just say during the day, you know, the stock's up like 15% simply because the rest of the themes are going. I, I have no problem cutting some. I'll, I'll cut a third of my position or, or half of it. You know, if it really starts to squeeze hard, I'll do whatever, you know, I'll cut some, I'll lock some profit. And that minimizes my risk because eventually the more profit that you take and the more that you recycle shares, that becomes a free position. So I have no issue cutting. If it's up 15, 20%, I have no problem cutting, especially if it has no news or anything. So that's the other way. And then if we're talking about purely like a slow grinder, so I am a catalyst trader for the most part. So I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not like the Warren Buffett buy, hold, wait for good earnings reports, wait for updates on the business. That's not really my thing. Like that, like he likes like the slow movement. Um, I do like to add dips. And then when news comes, you know, a massive pop, that's like my thing. But, uh, you know, if it is a slow grinder, then when it gets closer to overall big resistance points, I'll start to cut some. And it's just, again, the same thing. It's, it's that I'm playing the price action, but I also want to lock some profit. And so I think, it's, I think it's really important that if you have a newer account, that you have to understand that you, know, you can't take the risk of seeing if it's going to break resistance. Okay, sure, you can hold some shares, but like for the guys that were holding, um, uh, what was it that went, like, let's just say that you start accumulating China education plays because you just know that one day you'll wake up up 600%. You know, if if you do wake up and it's up, a, you know, let's call it two hundred percent, but you were hoping for five hundred percent, you can't risk. Yeah, price targets, you got to throw them out the window. You, you got to throw them out the window. Yeah, I mean, you see someone take price target, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it may be a target, but you got to be happy with, you know, sometimes just anywhere near it. Green is green, man. Green is green. <laughs> No, exactly. For someone, you know, they're working and and they just see, you know, people's tweets. So I think, you know, one thing is is to give some advice to them. Mine, obviously, would be to find the one you trust, find the one whose plays have worked out for you. You're a grown ass man or woman playing the stock market. You've got to be responsible. You need to know, like, why am I adding this? Am I just adding this because this person said so? If they have a 90% track record with you, then sure, hell yeah, go for it if that's what you're comfortable with. However, you also still may want to look into the company. You should always look into the company if you're going to swing something for a long period of time, especially if someone on the internet's just telling you to. But what kind of advice would you give that person that doesn't exactly have all the time in the world and, and they're just trying to swing, get out of there like nine to five? Yeah, uh, so the, I'm going to try and do this without, without, without overheating and getting myself all worked up. But everybody wants to make the quick buck. And that's not how this game works. Okay. If you don't have the time, throw it in a mutual fund. Because if you don't have this isn't this this game is not wake up. Like I, I know that I know all those YouTube ads that show like I trade for an hour a day, make ten thousand dollars, and then go on my private jet to the beach. That's not what this is. I can show you that I get between three to four hours of sleep. Those people aren't listening to the pennies going in there all. No, they're not. And that's a, you know what I mean? And that's, and I don't want, I don't, I don't, I think that's so stupid. Like, look, like literally last night, random night, four hours, 12, 12 minutes worth of sleep. Uh, that's, that's, 
that's it. And it's not only because I'm sitting there doing DD and stuff, but I'm just excited about work and I'm excited about to get to the desk. Okay. If it, I don't, I, I think it's such bullshit when it's like, I come to the, I come to the market, I make 10 grand, I go on my day. Yeah, sure you do. But it, it, that's not, that's not real. So if you don't have the time, you shouldn't be inside this game. Throw it inside a target fund, throw it inside a mutual fund, and and you know, and let Vanguard do the work for you. That being said, if you're trying to make this work, then you need to work your butt off. And so I kind of like the way that I did it was three different stages. So I I didn't rely on any income from trading. Then I started to scale back the job that worked during the day so I could be at the desk. So I moved more to nighttime jobs, weekend jobs, so I could focus on trading because I was starting to really get the hang of it. And then that's when I decided that I was going to go full time so I could completely focus on trading after school. Um, and so again, I was lucky enough that that I lived with my parents during the summer, that um, that I that by the time that college rolled around, I had real expenses, that I that I was profitable and I had saved up money from working jobs. But if you want to make this work, you got to put in the time and the effort, you know, an hour before, wake up an hour early, you know, uh, once you put the kids down at, you know, 8, 9 p.m., you know, instead of having that glass of wine, sit down at the computer, okay? It sucks. It sucks in the beginning, but the learning curve is literally so steep. It's like, it's like the steepest roller coaster in the world. But once you're up there and once you have those things, it's like riding a bike, you know, you never really forget what a 10K is. <laughs> you know, like, like it sounds so simple now, like we chuckle at it. But you know, when you're first sitting there and you're looking at different filings, I mean, my head was going nuts. My head was going nuts. I like 10K. What what is the fucking point of it? Like just call it, just call it the report, you know, just call it what it is. Um, but once you learn those things, it's muscle memory. So make it work by fitting it inside your schedule. How go to the bathroom. Now, if you are playing people on Twitter's alerts, okay, you have to understand that the that the Twitter is like an inside look and a journal into um, what these traders are thinking. Okay. None of these guys have their series seven. None of them, none of them want their series seven. None of them want outside capital. Okay. Um, and so if you are playing their positions, especially if you're playing swings, there is no reason to just sit there and market buy. Okay. You need to go through, understand the DD behind it and see if that's what if, if you agree with it, you know, like just because the DD is out there, it doesn't mean that it's always right. Um, it also doesn't mean that that's how it's going to play out. The company could throw, yeah, let's take AHT. The company could throw out a reverse split or, you know, the company could throw out, the company could throw out a reverse split. The company could throw out um, a massive dilution, anything, you know, or, or let's take MDLY today. Uh, they halted and they're going bankrupt. They're just going to close the doors. A public company, MDLY. So it's funny you mentioned that because I was going to mention this later, but it, it fits in right now. Uh, Jim Cramer tweeted about an hour and a half, two hours ago. Newegg, $2 million in sales, $25 billion in market cap. That's the definition of ridiculous. And while I agree, and some people are saying, uh, you know, we're investing in, you know, what's to come. We, we think there's a lot to come. Do you know what Newegg is? 
Uh, I saw the stock. I, I really didn't. Uh, Newegg, Newegg is a website where they sell computer parts and it's been oh. around for a long time. Like even back when I was playing World of Warcraft a long time ago, like semi-professionally, not to brag. <laughs> um, th- that's where like the really good gamers bought all their stuff. If you wanted computer parts, you went to Newegg to get it. Oh. My thought is kind of you think of gamers, you think of people that are big PC guys, you think of Reddit, you think of Wall Street, you know, Reddit, you think of Reddit, you think of Wall Street bets. Do you think this is kind of a similar thing to, you know, all the meme stocks that ran, most of them were nostalgia stocks that were shorted is basically the hedge fund saying, you know, this is going to die. Well, us us 90s babies don't want GameStop to die. We don't want AMC to die. We certainly don't want AM, or Newegg to die. And I don't know the short report on Newegg by any means. Uh, but oh, do you think that that kind of has anything to do with it, with the demographic of people that use Newegg? Uh, well, see, see, here's what I struggle with, is that do I think, like, 50,000 people throwing five grand at this thing is making this thing 10, what is this, 8x sure. inside the past sure. 20 days. Uh, but this comes back to, and, and again, disclaimer, I know I sound nuts. Like I, I get like a few DMs like, dude, you sound like a crazy person uh, every time that we talk about this. But it's the same thing like how market makers use the S&P or use headlines inside the market to control the the market so for instance um you know when when or sometimes a report will come out or, or breaking news will come out that uh you know let's let's even say like you know it, something stupid like uh like like for instance like july 4th that that the average american the average american picnic was down like 16 cents like the calls to have a picnic okay um, market makers will use headlines like that to move the market because they, you can't just move the market to 3% for the fuck of it. I mean, I guess you could, but it sounds a lot better when, when, when it's on the news, like, oh, the market was down 2% today after a report that, you know, they're not saying that that's why the market's down, but they're saying that coincidentally, when this headline came out, the market did this. Okay, and so it, it, if you if you look back at time and you do like a seasonality for it, it doesn't always like it like every time that we have negotiations for OPEC or something, you know, the market doesn't do the same thing, and that's because market makers control the market and use headlines to justify the move inside the market, and that's the same thing I think with Neg and these other uh, massive squeezes like a, a what is it, like. 800% to the upside is that, you know, there is somebody bigger behind this. Um, there is somebody bigger behind this. I, I truthfully do not think that 50,000 people throwing $5,000 at this thing would, would do this or, or could do this. I mean, the math just doesn't add up based on like the volume. But I do think that again, that yes, market makers use that sentiment and use that to their advantage. So to answer your question, yes, I do think that that plays a part in it, but do I think that it's, you know, a bunch of Robin Hood teenagers throwing 200, five grand, you know, $200, $400, five grand at it? No. All right. Well, uh, we have been at it for damn near an hour, a little bit longer. I just was going to say damn near an hour because usually we add it out about, you know, four minutes or five minutes. So have you gotten <laughs> your uh, your swings out or, or are you good? 
We've gotten we, this is this is an episode now. This is a lengthy one. We haven't done yeah, this an hour is a episode one. in a while. I feel like we haven't done like a good like learning learning one, or like I haven't really really gotten the yeah. We to gotta rant. get some facts. Well, no, yeah, you definitely got your ranting out this episode. So <laughs> I'm sweating over here. <laughs> yeah, you are. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, boys. Well, we really appreciate you guys to the to the seven people that are still listening. Um, after all of that, we really appreciate you guys sticking around. I hope you guys have had a great weekend. Make sure to leave us five stars, subscribe, be nice to us on Twitter, and we will see you guys on Wednesday. Thank you guys so much. See you then. This episode is brought to you by Benzinga. Benzinga is our absolute favorite resource to use when we trade. We use it for news scanners. We use it for flow checkers. We use it for screening. We use it for just about everything, including chat rooms and and much, much more. But that's not all they have. They have YouTube as well. Hot Stocks Luke every single day has great guests on, ranging from Ripster to Mia Khalifa to Gary to... To all the best guests you need to hear from every single day, all day long. So make sure to go check that out. That's youtube.com forward slash Benzinga. And if you look in the replies to this tweet, you will see how to get a discount code for Benzinga Pro. Make sure to go sign up for Benzinga Pro right now.